Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Psalm 46 verse 4 says, Here is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. It is a visual image of the comfort, peace, and joy that will be experienced by the followers of Jesus Christ during Christ's millennial kingdom, a thousand years on the earth with Jesus ruling the nations from Jerusalem, will be a thousand years of triumphant peace before the years roll into a glorious eternity. We have a lot to look forward to. You know, there's hardly a major capital around the world that doesn't have a river flowing through it, a great and wonderful river. One of the great things about traveling is to be able to visit some of these great rivers and to enjoy them. Always a little bit careful, but I've actually, you know, I've gone to swim in the Volga River, and I've swam in the Moscow River, and I've actually gone out and swam in the Congo River outside of the capital of Brazzaville, and I've wanted to swim in some other rivers, but thought twice. I was at the Ganges, and I was actually invited to go and step into the Ganges when I was there just a few weeks ago, but the area we're in, people were washing themselves in the Ganges, thinking that somehow that would give them eternal life and forgive them of all their sins, and I didn't want anybody to be confused. He said, well, there are some other areas that we go in the summertime when it's hot, and we swim in those areas. I said, if I come back in the summertime, I'll swim with you. There's something about rivers that are wonderful. You never really see a person unhappy when they're around a river. I don't, at least. I have it. I love the summertime in Boise. I love how hot it gets, actually. You might not like it. I love it. It's a cue to me when it gets really hot to go down to the river, to play in the river, to take a ride down the river on a tube, and you'll catch me there a couple days a week in the summertime. You know, I notice I've never seen anybody really unhappy around that river when you're floating down it, especially on those hot days. They go there to enjoy themselves and to relax. There's someone throwing a tennis ball out in the river and his dog is running out and retrieving it. There's some kids swinging on a rope swing and jumping in the river or jumping off a rock into the river and they're cooling themselves or they're reading by the river. It's a good place to be. Most major cities have a major river going through it. Do you know Jerusalem doesn't? It's one of the few capitals that has no major river within it. It's basically built upon a mountain. There's no river there. I wonder if there's a little bit of insecurity. They feel like they're you know, not as good as all the other capitals because they don't have a river. And so the people of Israel gathered a dream that God gave them that one day a river would flow from their city. They would get their river and it would flow out and it would be a place of great peace and great comfort and great blessing and great fruitfulness. Do you know what I think the river is? I think the river is God himself. He's going to be the river of life that flows from the nation of Israel. In fact, we read it in our scripture reading this morning. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be broken down or taken down. No, not one of its stakes will ever be removed nor will any of its cords be broken. But there, the majestic Lord will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. The picture of this wonderful river and out from it, little tributaries that flow into all of life, bringing its nourishment and life to all around. What a picture. We get our river. We get our river. It's coming one day. Actually, if you look at Ezekiel, 
you'll start in about chapter 39 and you'll find this very detailed picture of the temple that will be in existence in the millennial period. Some have thought that it's just an allegory. The problem is the details are so specific and so measured. It goes on for chapter after chapter that this just can't be an allegory. No, not one Jew reading this would say, oh, this is an allegory. They had their temple. It had been constructed. The one they had now was one that was going to be destroyed. They're thinking another one is going to come. The Jewish people read it, and this is what it's going to be like. Very specific. Actually, in chapter 39 of Ezekiel, the nation of Israel is restored by God. In chapter 40, the temple is built and it's constructed in Jerusalem. In chapter 43 and also in 45, we see that God comes and He inhabits it with all of His glory. We're introduced to the prince that will come and rule over all Jerusalem. And then we come to Ezekiel chapter 47. Take your Bibles and let's read it for a moment. It's a picture of a river. Though God will be ultimately the river that we have, still there seems to be an actual river here. Ezekiel chapter 47. But all that it reveals to us of itself and its presence is an expression of all that God and the Prince are to the nation of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1. Let's read on down for a while. Ezekiel writes, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits. And then he led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Then he measured a thousand more, and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Then again he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. I think we call that the Dead Sea now. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the water goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Engelim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be on of very many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, for they will bear fresh fruit every month because of the water for them flows from the sanctuary where God is presence, where His glory resides. Their fruit will be for food, their leaves for healing. You're going to get your river, Jerusalem. 
What's the application for us? The application is this. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, the scriptures say it, out of his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. We are the temple of the Most High God. He has brought his kingdom within our own hearts. Right now, if it's true, the river is flowing. He is the water of life to us. He brings to us comfort and refreshing and fruitfulness even as the earth shakes beneath our feet. The real lesson from this is, as I said before, you never see any people who are really not expressing some satisfaction and gladness around a river, very rarely. The lesson here is, get near Christ. Stay in His presence. Go to the river. Go to the river and live in His refreshing and life. Find now that He gladdens you. He gladdens you as a testament to the world around of the kingdom that is yet to come, but has come to your heart. Get near Jesus. Be in His presence. Let's look at the third thing here. God is our contemplation. This is the new work that is ours as the result of the victory that God brings us. God is our contemplation. There was a chorus that was sung a number of years ago that had an interesting line in it. It said, Lord, I praise you because of who you are, not because of all the mighty things you've done. What's interesting about the song is there's not a single song of praise in the Bible that praises God in that way. (laughs) All the psalmists didn't praise God for who he was, but not because of what he did. They praised him for who he was because of what he did. In fact, that's how they came to know him. That's how they began to realize who he was. God, reveal yourself by your mighty works. And he did. And they praised him because of all the mighty things that he's done. And that's what happens here. All these mighty works have taken place. We're invited to go and see the desolation of God. God putting down the rule of men and all of his rebellion. Look at it. Look how he brings the end of all war. And brings about complete peace. Study it. See his handiwork accomplishing this in your life. Remember your story. See how he brought conquest to your own life. Study it. Remember the story of past ages in which he delivered our fathers. Remember all these things are token expressions of one, thing, one work that he will do, one great work that he's doing in the kingdom to come. I see someone quoting this portion of the passage as a chorus leader after the battle of Armageddon. Looking over and considering the aftermath of the battle of Armageddon seeing it all, and leading us in this praise. Come, behold the work of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. So Hezekiah's people could look at the corpses outside their city and say, come, look at this, what he's done. And we can say to ourselves, come, remember what he's done in my own life. One day we'll say it again. When he defeats all the enemies of the, and all the, Forces of the earth that are arrayed against him. Come and look at these things. Look at his desolations. Now has come peace. Now is the aftermath in which the river flows out of Jerusalem and fruitfulness and blessing and peace come upon us. What do we do when all of the work we've known in life is a contention? This is life today, right? We're contending and battling and fighting and finding our way and we're sowing our seeds among thorns and hacking back the thorns and we're dealing with the resistance that comes from us because... The God of this age, Satan, assaults us. What are we going to do when all of this is brought to an end? When God says, enough, what will be our new work? When it's not a work of contention and battle and striving. Well, God has an assignment for us. Here is the assignment of eternity. Be still and know that I am God. Your assignment 
throughout all eternity, and oh, it's a big project, it'll take all of eternity to conclude this, you'll never conclude it, is to contemplate me, who I am, to enjoy my presence, to understand that my agenda is that I will be exalted among all the nations, I will be exalted in all the earth, consider and contemplate me. Weigh me. God, our Savior, is glorified above everything else when we simply contemplate Him and consider Him. By the way, I know in this day and age we still live where the God of this age rules the world and so there is, a part of our assignment today is to contend for the faith and it is to struggle and strive against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But keeping this in mind that the final outcome will be the contemplation of God, let me simply advise you to find times when you stop, that's what it means, you stop, to contemplate God, to know Him, to find Him, to find Him in the faithful reading of His Word, to search out in the text and in our experiences the traces of His own attributes. Consider Him, contemplate Him, find an attribute of God and meditate upon it. See it in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. See it applied in your own life, in your own story. Expressions of His love, of His mercy, of His kindness, of His patience, of His holiness, of His wrath against your sin, of His justice at work in your own life. Consider these things. Contemplate God in Christ Jesus. And you will teach a world around you what will be the glory of the kingdom to come. Let me suggest that you occupy yourself with the preoccupation of the kingdom to come. Be still. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.